amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Laura Bazelon, sometimes she'll arrive at her office and she'll find these voicemails. Some of which are obscene, some of which are saying things like, I need to be fired and sat on fire and buried underground. It's what's really strange about them is most of the people who leave them are women and they talk in these very nice, calm tones. So it's just kind of eerie. They're not usually screaming or hostile, which makes them scarier in a way. Laura's a writer and a lawyer. She started getting these voicemails because of the work she does. Work she only went public about recently. I came out to the world, I think, in the most public way that you possibly can, which is that I wrote an op-ed for the New York Times. She wrote about the work she does defending men accused of sexual misconduct. It's why when critics leave her those messages, sometimes they call her a rape apologist. Sometimes they say she just doesn't care about survivors. I mean, the invective and just the vicious bile that is directed toward me personally for doing this work is really disturbing. She's been thinking about these voicemails over the past week as she watches what's going on at Harvard University. That's where a law professor, his name is Ronald Sullivan, lost his job as a house dean after months of student protest. What made these students so mad is that Sullivan had agreed to defend accused rapist Harvey Weinstein in court. It hit close to home because I also represent clients who people find reprehensible. And the idea that I would be punished in my professional life for doing that felt really scary to me. So when you see what's happening at Harvard, what do you see? How do you see it differently than other people? I see it differently because what I see is Harvard essentially saying to students, If you express these heartfelt concerns that there's a professor who's defending someone that you find so awful and so despicable that you don't actually believe that they can separate that representation from the work that they do as your professor, as your residence dean, we will appease you. For Laura, what's happening to Ronald Sullivan, she feels it really viscerally, but she's also this really logical, lawyerly person. Lara thinks everyone deserves a fair shake, no matter what they've done. And she looks at what happened at Harvard, and she wonders, is that fair? Today on the show, we'll try to figure it out. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, or automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. 
so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Let's start here, which is, can you tell me a little bit about who Ron Sullivan is in the legal community? Is he someone you'd heard of before? Ron Sullivan is a very prominent person in the legal community. So he was the head of the Public Defender Service, which is the premier public defender organization in the country. He has also represented numerous high-profile clients, but also pro bono clients. And he secured the release, I think, of 6,000 people in Louisiana after Hurricane Katrina. It sounds like you have a lot of respect for him. I do. And most people do because he's just a very, very accomplished figure who has spent a large part of his life trying to rectify serious wrongs in the system. Here's a question. Were you surprised that Ron Sullivan was defending Harvey Weinstein? That's a great question. No, because he does paid and unpaid work and because he's so high profile, he's very sought after. So I guess I was not surprised that they would have wanted him on the team. Back in January, when Sullivan's students found out about this new role, it prompted a fierce backlash. Almost immediately, these protests started. So two Harvard students wrote an op-ed in the Harvard Crimson saying that he should be removed from his position as faculty dean, where he lived in a undergraduate residence called the Winthrop House with his wife. Yeah, we should explain what a faculty dean is, because it's kind of this unique to Harvard thing. Yeah, and interestingly, they used to call it being the house master, which is such a bizarre term. Can you imagine being an African-American student and saying, oh, yeah, that guy is my master? So they (laughs) changed the term to faculty dean. And what it means is that you live in an undergraduate residence hall and you are in charge of advising students academically and setting the tone for the social and communal spirit in the house. And then you oversee the students and the tutors who advise the students and the staff in the residence house. So you're kind of in loco parentis. Yes. And it's also free housing, right? It's like a benefit. That's my understanding. So how long do people usually do this job? Do you even know? I don't. I know that he and his wife were appointed to do this in 2009 and that they were the first African-Americans in Harvard University's history to get these appointments and that they had been in that position for a decade. We should talk about what made the students so upset. Like he he was holding this position where, you know, as we said, he was kind of like the dad for the dorm, um, you know, a fancy name for dad at the dorm. And the idea is that he supports the students, but the students were arguing that having someone who is supposed to be supporting them, someone who they would come to if they had some kind of allegation of sexual misconduct or whatever, was himself defending someone accused of sexual misconduct. So it was like really, it was saying, you're going to trigger us. You're going to make us uncomfortable. We're not going to be able to do what we should be doing with you, which is trusting you and coming to you with our concerns. That's exactly what they were saying, essentially that he was a daily reminder of Harvey Weinstein, who, as we know, is just the face of Me Too and the face of what we think of when we think of serial sexual predation and that that could be deeply traumatic, his association with Harvey Weinstein as his lawyer. So in January, Ron Sullivan sort of announces that he's part of the legal team and he starts sort of explaining this around campus. And, and you mentioned these these protests start happening. There's actually graffiti that shows up on campus, which just seemed very not Harvard 
to me. But literally graffiti saying down with Sullivan and whose side are you on? Sort of really questioning his position. How did the university decide that they were going to do something about Ron Sullivan? Well, the protests continued. So there was the graffiti. There were op-eds. There was an online petition to remove him. There was a sit-in, reclaim Winthrop House, eject Ron Sullivan. And the school responded by instituting what they called a climate survey, which Sullivan said it was unprecedented in the history of Harvard University to undertake this kind of survey, but basically almost checking the temperature of the students in Winthrop House and trying to ascertain what kind of harm or damage or feelings they were experiencing around Ron Sullivan's representation of Weinstein and just more generally Ron Sullivan and his wife, Stephanie Robinson's tenure as faculty deans in the house. And then this letter comes out that says, we've heard everyone's complaints and we're going to ask that Ron Sullivan and his wife step down from this role of faculty dean. And when you saw that, what did you think? I got really angry and I just thought it was the most craven, pathetic response by a university that is supposed to be upholding all kinds of values, including the right to free speech, the right to debate ideas, the Constitution, and for them to, in my opinion, appease what I grant you are heartfelt concerns by these students was, in my mind, sending exactly the wrong message, which is Professors, if you take on aspects of work, including representing dislikable people, and you upset your students, we will punish you. The thing we haven't talked about is this article that came out in The Crimson. Because what's what's interesting to me is that at the same time all of this conversation was going on about Ron Sullivan and his role in the Weinstein case, there was this whole other conversation going on about him as a leader more generally. And this article came out this spring, which really alleged that he and his wife had been in conflict with the people they were supervising for a couple of years. That's right. And there were a couple of things in that article. One was that Winthrop House had extremely high staff turnover when you compare it to other undergraduate residences. And the allegation was that people were leaving because they were having issues with the Sullivans and to some degree potentially feeling intimidated by them. So that was one allegation. And another allegation was that he had spoken in defense of another professor who had been accused of sexual harassment by saying that he felt that the process that they had put that professor through was deeply flawed. So that was kind of strike two after strike one being, I am Harvey Weinstein's lawyer. I mean, but it seems like there certainly was all this aggravation in his dorm, and it centered around Ron Sullivan and his wife. And I guess the trouble I have when I start thinking about this argument is why should someone who's a dean, which is sort of a bonus position, it's not like he's losing his professorship, why should someone like that stay if the students aren't comfortable when sort of the whole point of the role is to help the students be comfortable? I disagree. I think that, first of all, he had a number of roles in his position as faculty dean. The primary one, according to the website, is providing the students with 
academic advice and counsel. And I don't really understand why somehow the fact that he has taken on a client that many of them despise means that he can't be effective in that role, nor do I think he is somehow ineffective in that role because he takes on a client that someone doesn't like. If you think about it, he's defended a lot of people, including a football player accused of murder. When he did that, no one said anything. I just don't really understand why, if your client is accused of sexual assault, you are tainted to the point where no one could ever imagine confiding in you about any kind of personal problem relating to sexual violence. And I can tell you that that has certainly not been my experience as a law professor with my students. I think that equating somebody with their client and telling students, if you say that you're uncomfortable, if you say you have these concerns, we're going to respond by jettisoning this person, to me, just sends the wrong message. Well, could it be that these allegations opened a doorway where all of these other things that had been simmering came out and that really the decision was about more than just the fact that he was defending Harvey Weinstein? It could be. It could also be that a lot of the complaints that came out as the result of this climate survey that the school instituted once he said he was defending Harvey Weinstein and people protested, encouraged people to come forward with more Harvey Weinstein related complaints. And so it just piled on to that part of the reason to remove him. So you're saying the data is flawed, like we can't we couldn't have gotten the information that we need to make a fair assessment here. I'm saying that we have no access to the data. We have no idea how they made the decision. It's completely opaque. We don't know what kind of process there was. We only know that Ron Sullivan and his wife responded to the decision by saying that they were surprised and taken aback and dismayed that they had been in negotiations with Harvard and that those had been unilaterally cut off. After the university decided to relieve Sullivan of his role as faculty dean, the professor announced he'd be withdrawing from Harvey Weinstein's legal team. He'll be able to keep his teaching job. He's got tenure. I want to go back to something you mentioned before, which is you brought up race. You talked about how Ron Sullivan and his wife were the first black people to have this role, this really special role on Harvard's campus, something that I think a lot of students there like look back and remember the people who lived in their dorms and remember their relationship with these people. How do you think race is playing in here? The race part of this really troubles me. I just wonder what the outcome would have been like if he was a white attorney. I mean, the fact that he is a black attorney defending a white man accused of rape and sexual abuse and and suffering for that role seems deeply troubling to me. And I just don't know that the outcome would have been the same if it was reversed. What makes you think that? Like, do you have personal experience from some of your defense work that sort of shows how people will see someone who's black differently than someone who's white and maybe cut them less slack? I think that if you ask most black people in this country, they will tell you that that is emphatically the case, that they're held to a different and a higher standard and people are more suspicious of them and less likely to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I don't know why that wouldn't be the case in this situation, since it's the case in almost every situation. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just 
when I hear these stories, I think the conversations are so valid. Like, I really think what the students are saying is important to have these conversations about what kind of behavior is acceptable, what we'll tolerate and what we won't. But what strikes me is that we're having these conversations in this kind of binary legal framework, like someone's wrong, someone's right, someone's in, someone's out. It's adversarial. And that doesn't actually lead to us having a fruitful conversation in the end. I agree with that. And I think there were maybe attempts to do that. I know that Ron Sullivan wrote long emails trying to explain his decision to the students and to the larger Harvard community. I think at one point he appointed someone within Winthrop House to be kind of the point person for students to go to if they had particular concerns around sexual assault. I think there were some efforts made and likely perhaps on the university side as well. But you have to wonder, I mean, what would have happened if they had tried to have some kind of community meeting? Maybe they did. We don't know. I kind of doubt it. But what if they had tried to bring everybody together in some sort of restorative process where both sides could give some explanation for their feelings and concerns and there could have been an accounting? And I wonder if had that happened, we would have had a different outcome. For the people who will look at this and they'll say, this guy was in an advisory role. He sort of had this extra job. He he got free housing. He's losing a privilege. It's not that he's being taken out of a role. What would you say to that? Well, we're all losing out in a way, I think, because the message is we're going to give these positions to people who aren't going to offend anybody, who aren't going to do anything controversial. And that's who we want in those roles. And I think in that sense, everybody loses. I mean, the people that you live with shouldn't be the people who you 100% agree with 100% of the time. I think part of the academic experience, living away from home, being in a residence, being in a classroom, being on campus, it means being exposed to ideas that you don't necessarily agree with. It means getting into debates that are heated but civil. And I think that when we take that away, when we say, look, we just want the most milk toast person in here that's not going to make anybody think very hard and is going to be completely inoffensive, everybody loses. Laura Bazelon, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Laura Bazelon is an associate professor at the University of San Francisco School of Law. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. All right, if you are still listening and you can still hear my voice right now, I've got a big favor to ask. Go on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and that's super important to us. Or you can just grab a friend's phone and, like, subscribe them. They'll thank you for it. Trust me. All right, talk to you tomorrow. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 
I'm Dahlia Lithwick, and I'm host of Amicus, Slate's podcast about the law and the U.S. Supreme Court. We are shifting into high gear, coming at you weekly with the context you need to understand the rapidly changing legal landscape. The many trials of Donald J. Trump, judicial ethics, arguments and opinions at SCOTUS. We are tackling the big legal news with clarity and insight every single week. New Amicus episodes every Saturday, wherever you listen.